Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of So I Married a Horror Fan. Woo! I am Simon. I'm Lee. And this is episode number 40. Actual number 40. For some reason, I thought this episode was episode 41. No, because us was number 39. Mm-hmm. Then you did an episode on the conspiracies, which I guess is probably why you think it's episode number forty-one. No, I just thought like, I thought you just thought Oz was forty. That's so... all. Nah, this is crazy, bro. It's crazy. Anyway, we have some stuff to get into. So, mm-hmm. for some reason, this week, the second week in September, has been like absolutely bonkers, nuts for like horror stuff. It has. So before we get into what today's episode is on, we're going to do a rundown of all the horror stuff that dropped and what we've been up to this week in the world of horror. So I thought we would kick off by talking about Nightbooks. Because we Nightbooks. watched Nightbooks this week, the new little uh, child-friendly horror movie that was um, added to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of this movie? Go, I... Actually, before you, before you give your opinion, tell the people at home what the movie is about. So the movie is about a little boy. Who uh, ends up being kidnapped by a house, which so sounds really weird. Which is run like the house belongs to a witch, and to basically stop the witch from killing him, he tells the witch he will tell her a different spooky story every night. And it's basically about this little boy being trapped in a witch's house, trying to escape. Yeah, it's pretty much sums it up. Huh. And there's him. There's a little girl. Yes. There's Kristen Ritter as the fabulous the witch. witch. She, she is fabulous. She has some excellent outfits in there. The witch wears Prada. The witch wears Prada. She's she's like, every scene she's in in this movie, she's channeling, I nearly said Glenn Close, it's not, it's the other one, Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. In, um, that, she has, there's one scene in this movie, because she's got like, I don't want to say, it's like not a pastel blue, it's like an ocean blue sort of hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wears a fabulous see-through pvc baby pink trench uh, coat train, yeah the raincoat and it's fucking glorious oh, she has another outfit underneath it just everywhere yeah, yeah, she's yeah, not yeah. just wearing a pvc raincoat uh, i mean it would be it would be some other form of night books if she was um it would i thought like i really like this movie but it wasn't the movie i thought it was going to be because the the whole point of the the, the book the story the film the book the story the film is that the kid writes scary stories mm-hmm. and he has to tell the witch his night books or his scary stories for her to like be satiated and to like let him live. So I thought the movie was going to be basically about him reading the night stories as like an anthology type thing. So you would see the night stories would make up like the story of the film. Alas, it was not. There is a little bit of that in here, in the film. But that's not the main bulk of the film, is it? No. The, see, I think the problem is this, because I said this to you, I was like, the trailer doesn't make it look like that. But I think you hadn't seen the trailer, you just heard what the film was about and made yeah. assumptions. I read, I read the synopsis on Netflix, so I was like, this sounds good. Yeah, no. Um, very different film. But it's a very good film, and it's a really good... like. Probably not young, young kids, mm. but like six, seven. Yeah. They'll be fine. Like, it's not massively scary. There's quite a few, like, nice little. Um, I figured it out. I figured out one of the plot twists quite early. You figured out the other one quite early as well. 
So it's not like a really deep brain thinky film. No. But there is some. I quite liked both of the twists in this movie. I would say if your children have seen The House of the Clock and Its Walls or the live action Goosebumps movie with Jack Black in it, it's in a similar vein. Yeah. It's that sort of level of like scariness. But it's, got, it's produced by Sam Raimi and it's directed by the guy who made Brightburn, weirdly enough. Um, but it's quite good. It, it, I feel like adults can get a kick out of it as well. Like we enjoyed it. We I enjoyed it. Good. I thought it was really fun. Um, I wouldn't be mad at them doing a different spin on different. Uh, I don't want to say what the main. But thing it would it be is. it would be interesting to see them do like a series of them. Yeah, and yeah, do yeah, some yeah. More. Like every yeah. Halloween, just Netflix drops one. Yeah, they could be like Netflix's Halloween Town. Yeah. Uh, big art for me. We mentioned Halloween Town. R.I.P. Debbie Reynolds. Um, while we're on the subject of Netflix, because mm-hmm. we're dropping this episode on the 20th, so this Friday coming, uh, Mike Flanagan's new TV series, Midnight Mass, drops Ooh, on Netflix. Does. And a lot of, uh, shall we say, people higher on the content food chain than us have uh, seen the first few episodes. Some people have actually seen the whole series. And uh, it's been getting rave reviews across the board, which doesn't surprise me because, as we discussed on a previous episode, I think it was our 5x5 when we were talking about our most anticipated. Like, I am a Stanagan for Flanagan, and I think everything that he touches turns to gold. I think he's one of those directors that's kind of bulletproof when it comes to reviews, like both The House on Haunted Hill... Uh, not, no, The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor. I don't know why I keep saying it's The House on Haunted Hill. Um, both of those shows were critically praised. Doctor Sleep's one of the best horror movies of the last 10 years. And I think he just goes from strength to strength. But a lot of people have said um, this is his best work. They've said it's like really frightening. It will stay with you for like days on end. It's like all about faith and loss and religion. Um, it's not like overly violent but it's that kind of like that horror that's like like Stephen King writes Slow that and like creeping. yeah like that whole kind of there's something in the neighborhood in this quiet town that isn't quite right and it's what it does to the people in that town um but yeah it's been getting rave reviews across the board so hopefully by the time next week's episode rolls around which will be on the 27th we will have at least watched all of it or some of it i think we're planning to watch it next friday night we're going to watch I don't know how many episodes it is. Like, usually these things are like eight to ten episodes. Yeah, and if they're hour long, we're not watching it all Friday night. No, but we'll, we'll try and watch it over the weekend. or watch We'll, like, we'll try and watch some of it. Yeah, so we can at least bring some like thoughts to yeah. it next week. Um, again, on the subject of Netflix, I'd like to point out at this point, this episode isn't sponsored by Netflix. No. Um, but they have just announced season three of the movies that made us, mm-hmm. uh, which is coming out on... Let me check... check actually checks notes um comes out on october the 12th so it'll be a whole season drop this season focusing on robocop aliens friday the 13th a nightmare on elm street halloween and weirdly coming to america (laughs) Um, so it's nice to see that they're actually doing kind of more a more horror focused season this season I enjoy the toys that made us and the movies that made us. I think they're both really good shows. I enjoy both of them. I've seen all of the episodes of them that have been previously on. So. Sure. We watched the Christmas one, didn't we, for Nightmare Before Christmas? Yeah, I watched the Nightmare one, yeah. I actually gave a shit about that one. Hmm. So that was quite good. So it'd be interesting to kind of see what happens with those. Um, so yeah, that's another date for your diary, October the 12th. Um, September 25th in America and Canada... 
September 27th in the UK and the rest of the world. Elvira's 40th, spe very special 40th anniversary spooky special on Shudder. She's finally coming to Shudder. Um, so yeah, Elvira's doing a special for Shudder to celebrate her 40th anniversary, um, which is going to be available on all streaming, uh, all Shudder streaming services worldwide from the 27th of September. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I am as well. Like, I'm... Because I know she's doing Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, I'm as one of the films. Really excited to watch her do Mistress of the Dark. Like the thing is, I don't. And the thing is, as well, is she picked the better Elvira movie to do as well. Yeah, Haunted Hills was not good. Haunted Hill was terrible. The but... main guy who plays the rich guy who tries to marry her in that mm -hmm. movie died recently. He didn't try and marry her. He tries to kill her. It's her uncle. No, the the like dopey guy who's all like, "We shall be married. You can stay living in my haunted house." In the second movie. Oh, in Haunted on Hills. Hills. I thought yeah. you meant on... I was like, what are you no, about? It's the, an uncle. The like, rich guy from Haunted Hills. Okay, yeah. yeah. He just died recently. Um, yeah, I'm interested because I don't think I've really seen much of her where she's like... I'm sure she's done retrospectives at cons and stuff where she's looked back at that movie and talked about it. But it would be interesting to see her like talking like mystery science theatre style, like over the top of the movie as it's mm. happening. Because the movie's like over 30 years old now. She made that really early in her career, didn't she? Like the movie. She did. So it'd be interesting. I'm looking forward to that. So that's September 27th. Then this week we had some trailers drop. Uh, first up, we had There's Someone Inside Your House. Oh my God, this looks so fucking good. Um, another Netflix film dropping on the 6th of August. We are uh, 6th not of October. sponsored by Netflix. Um, but if they want to push some cash our way, I'm not going to be against being sponsored by them. I'm not going to lie. Produced by James Wan, I think. I think it said James Wan because it said the, like, from the I people who brought you no the country. Um, and one of the guys who produced Stranger Things. I don't know if it's the brothers, the Duffer brothers, or if it's Sean Levy, because the trailer just says from the people that brought you The Conjuring and Stranger Things. But this movie had like massive Stranger Things, Fear Street, 1994 vibes. Mm. It's about so it's about a killer who wears his victims' faces as a mask as he kills them. Um, just go and watch this trailer, bro. It looks like so much fun. It looks like a really fun old school throwback slasher movie uh it's coming to netflix on october the 6th there's a trailer out for it it just looks like it's going to be bags of fun which is the total opposite of the next trailer that we watched for the i know what you did last summer tv series oh. which genuinely oh excuse me <laughs> jesus christ babe um Genuinely looked like a bag of dicks didn't yeah, it? it did look like a bag of dicks i mean i have no i've never seen the original film I have no like fond recollections, like no nostalgia for that movie, so it wasn't really made with me in mind. Uh, but it looks, it looks. You know when MTV made that Scream show? Uh, yes. That's what this looks like. But worse. But worse, yeah. Um, so this is this is produced by James Wan, um, and it's based more on the novel allegedly. So it's based more on the novel that the film is based on. Um, so, but I just I think the thing that gets me with that is uh, so at the end of the trailer, for anyone who hasn't seen it, spoiler for the trailer. So obviously, in the original film, they all get letters or yeah. like like little like call outs. It's like oh, I know what you did last summer. At the end of this trailer, they all get a fucking text message. Mm. Did it say I know what you did last summer? No, the one that the girl oh, I'm reads coming says, back I'm, to get I'm you. coming for you, and it had like a little clown little emoji. Clown in it. emoji, and I was like. Oh, for fuck's sake. 
<sighs> just... Yeah. Just not good, was it? No. It looked really cheap as well. Yeah, it didn't look... It kind of looked like... I don't know if anyone will remember this. So I don't know what it's called. MTV, God bless MTV, did a show. It had Eric Balfour in it. Mm-hmm. And he played, like, the older brother of this student. It was, like, set... Was it Valmont? Valmont. They never finished it. We never got a resolution. And it was, like, some shitty mystery horror. I think there was maybe vampires in it. Made for MTV show. And the budget was about 30 quid an episode. And it was... I mean, the show was... It was... As you know, I can't even defend it. it. From what I remember, it was shit. And that's kind of what this looked like. They went... All right, well, here's 30 quid. Take your iPhone. Make a show. That's it, looks it, like what they did. It looks garbage. The only... I'm now intrigued <laughs> as, if, as if anybody else remembers Valmont. I didn't know it was Asshole Day at the Valmont house. Um, what? That's a line from Cruel Intentions. Right, okay, I was going to say, I was like, that's not from the show. Because Sebastian's surname is Valmont in Cruel ah. Intentions. Is what it reminded me of when you said it. Um, no, it looks like... Do you remember... Like you talk about like the line of MTV shows. Do you remember nine oh two one oh? The reboot of that yeah. that they brought out. It kind of looked a little bit like that. Because it had that very flashy MTV kind of like style over substance and like Olivia Rodrigo. There's like a, a slowed down version yeah. of like Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah. It's Brooklyn here yeah, or out play, here or like, whatever the lyrics that fucking song is. Playing in the background. Mm. And um the only the only intriguing hook that this show has is the fact that obviously the episode the episodes are going to be focused on like different people's recollections of what happened on the on the night of the incident, oh. which kind of is an interesting framing device. Mm. But I feel like it's going to be really irrelevant if all these kids are going to piss me off. That's so. True. Anyway, that's all. That's going to be on Amazon Prime starting on October the fifteenth. However, there's better uses of your time. Go the fuck out and see Halloween Kills. I'm just saying, Halloween Kills is going to be out. Venom, Let There Be Carnage is going to be out in some markets. Just go to fuck out, go to the cinema, go watch Halloween Kills. Don't watch that trash. Um, Next up, VHS 94. This is all me, dog. Um, So I'm fucking stoked. Like, I love the first two VHS movies. I skipped (sighs) Viral because I thought Viral looked dog shit. Um, but this one looks fucking awesome. And the fact that when the little screen... You see how far... The the thing that made my heart happy is... Obviously, the first two were made by like filmmakers that went on to make big things. Like the guys who did uh, You're Next. And then, obviously, Godzilla and Blair Witch. And then, obviously, you've got the guys who did Ready or Not. All these other filmmakers. And it says, like, on this one, it says... From the ra- makers of Ready or Not, You're Next, blah, blah, blah. And all these, like, really cool things. And I was like, it's nice to see those guys return to their roots after they've made all these other big hits. But, yeah, this looks nasty. This movie looks fucking... Like, it's going to be... I feel like I'm going to get my hard drives drive scrubbed just for watching it. Like, it just feels crimey, and I love that. So I'm very excited for this one. Uh, it's coming to Shudder on October the 6th. So it's going to be the same day that uh, Someone in Your House comes out, which looks dope. Um, what else did we watch? We watched Trailer for Lock and Key Season 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, that looks we good. still haven't seen Season 1, so we don't really no. have any opinions on that. Uh, October 22nd, that's coming to Netflix. Paranormal Activity next to Kin. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, you weren't fussed on that, were you? Nah. The thing is, I don't understand why they've brought the Paranormal Activity franchise back. And it's going straight to streaming. It's going to be on Paramount Plus, October 29th. Written again by Christopher Langdon. Landon. So Christopher Langdon wrote the first one, and he wrote a couple of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he went on to write and direct Happy Death Day, Happy Death Day 2, and then he directed Freaky. So this is kind of a bit of a backward step for him. The trailer didn't give a lot away... But it didn't seem very found footagey. It seemed more like religiously and more culty. Yeah, I've like... gotten off of that trailer. And to be fair, I've seen the first Paranormal Activity movie a very long time ago, and I enjoyed that. I'd say enjoyed. I, it it gave me horrific nightmares. And I was staying at my friend's house, which made it slightly worse because I wasn't in a safe place. Um, but I'm never bothered with any of the others. I'm probably not going to bother with this one. That's where we're at with it. And then before we talk about our last trailer, there is one last thing that we needed to mention. Mm-hmm. They're rebooting the Lost Boys. They are. Oh, well, it depends. It seems to be all over the internet and no one can seem to come to terms with whether it's a reboot or a remake. Well, a lot of the horror websites have now started in their articles putting Lost Boys remake. So they've not actually said it's a remake. No, no one seems to know. And it's just kind of a little bit Chinese whispersy. It's a bit of speculation at the moment. There's the whispery whispers. Um, but yeah, so we're getting a Lost Boys rebake slash reboot. It's confirmed that one of the kids from It. Yeah, so Noah Dupe from A Quiet Place, Quiet Place. and Jaden Martell from It have been cast so far. And I heard a, I heard a theory from somebody who said that they think that they may potentially be playing the Lost, the, the Lost Boys? The no, Frog Brothers. The Frog Brothers. Uh, Jonathan Entwistle is directing and Randy McKinnon is writing it. Neither of those names mean yeah. anything to me. Um, I mean, I'm hyped because I fucking love The Lost Boys. We covered it on here specifically because I love it. Yeah, we covered it a while ago. Yeah. So I'm really hyped. I mean, we had we had those two sequels we don't really talk about. Because mm. A, they were made way too long after and B, meh, they weren't great. Um, but I'm kind of, I have high hopes for this. Not gonna lie. I am indifferent either way. Yeah, you don't um, care one way or another, but for me it was exciting. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be one of those like pieces of news that just kind of came out of the blue. Like, I feel like they're running out of like movies to remake. or But then this could be one of those weird things where it's like a legacy sequel, like Candyman was, like the new Exorcist is going to be... Ooh. Like Halloween was. What it could be is somebody could have finally put their fucking pants on and made the fucking sequel that fucking was originally supposed to be made. We could actually be getting a Lost Girls adaptation. Look, all I'm saying, bro, is Tim Capello is still alive. He still believes. I still still believe. believe. He's got to have a cameo at least. Oh, yeah. Defo. And I I would love to see that. But no, um, I, I kind of hope if we do get this show and if they kind of reboot the series reboot Lost Boys as it was and we get kind of maybe a bit of a retelling of the original story I would like them to if they were going to do that to then make a Lost Girls because it would be nice to actually finally see the dream of there being the all female biker gang of vampires come true I just had a really interesting thought mm-hmm. and it, I never really thought about it I didn't really think about it when we had last week's episode because I never really thought of the idea of celebrities being tethered because they don't really address that idea mm-hmm. in, in us 
But when Adelaide gets kidnapped in Us, spoilers from if you haven't listened to last week's episode, when she gets kidnapped at the beginning of Us, they are filming Lost Boys at the same time when she gets taken mm-hmm. on the exact same place where the tethered are living underground. Mm-hmm. Does that mean at that point there was like a tethered Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland running around, tethered Alex Winter, Jason Patrick, Diane Weist infection? Like, were, were the cast of Lost Boys all tethered and then when their tethered rose up did they get murdered yeah obviously <laughs> stupid question and if they like because i thought they, i think that would have been an incredible visual gag if like when like when you see her go down the tunnels as a kid there's like some fucking mulleted Kiefer sovereign looking motherfucker that's like under the tunnels because i i just i didn't I, it's only just because we've just talked about lost boys like literally just talked about it and I always forget, well, I don't really forget, but, like, it's never really addressed after that point that they're filming that film at the time when she gets taken as a kid. So does that mean, like, yeah, would, cele- would celebrities have tethered? I don't really know. Like, that's a weird... That's, yeah, we should we should have talked about this last week. I'm assuming everyone has a tethered. Maybe, imagine Saxman's tethered. I still believe. Um, and then, yeah, the last trailer we watched was... Ties very nicely into what we're going to be talking about today... Uh, we watched the trailer for Nightmare Alley, son. Oh, he did indeed. The new movie by, I'm going to say his name in order to correct me, it's Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo. 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 Do I not pronounce the L? No. Is it Guillermo? Guillermo. Guillermo del Toro. But I keep calling him like Elmo, like Guillermo. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm aware, I want to be very clear about this. I don't know shit all about Spanish. I'm sure Nicole will text me at some point and be like, by the way, babe, you've been pronouncing his name wrong. Well, he's Mexican, isn't he? So I don't know if there's different inflections in Mexican and Spanish. Yeah, but it's still an Hispanic language. They still speak. But yeah, we watched a trailer for Nightmare Alley, which is a new movie by Guillermo Guillermo del Toro, uh, which looks great, quite frankly. I mean, I, I... Part of me wants to say it looks great, but another part of me goes, this trailer tells me shit all. Like, at all. I feel like the trailer has been cut very purposefully. Yeah. And it gives you actually nothing of the plot. But then that was the same with Crimson Peak. They were like, yeah, Crimson Peak's going to be dope as fuck. And then I was like, it really wasn't. I love that film, but whatever. But yeah, the, the trailer for Crimson Peak was very, like, misleadingly cut. Yeah. I feel like it's just a kind of Guillermo del Toro thing, though. Um, so I don't want to sit here and be like, I'm really excited, it looks amazing, like I really like the trailer. Because the trailer tells me shit all. Like, literally, I'm assuming it's set at, like, a circus, because that seems to be a thing. Yeah. Bradley Cooper is definitely in it. So is William Dafoe. So is Rooney, Mara. And Tony Collette. And Tony Collette. And there's dancing at one point. The thing, the and thing... there might be a beast. There might be a man. We don't know. Is it Bradley Cooper? Isn't it Bradley Cooper? Does anyone actually know? Is it actually William Defoe? Willem. Willem. I don't care. Is it actually Tony Collette? See, the thing is, he said it's not a horror movie. He said it's like a noir thriller. The thing I was trying to get my head around was when it was set. Because I was like, it looks like it's set in like the 40s or the 50s, but I wasn't, mm. like, that's another thing. It doesn't give away a time period. It just kind of like, he's wearing a fedora and it's, it could be... He is tipping his fedora at you. Yeah, I just don't really know when it's meant to be set, but it looks fucking great. Like, the thing is, like, with GDT, I feel like, unless it's a movie that's like pretty straightforward, like his Hellboy movies, 
Blade Two and Crimson Peak, uh, not Crimson Peak, Pacific Rim, all had very like linear looking trailers. They were like, here is the film in a nutshell. But like Shape of Water, Pan's Labyrinth, and this all have very like I don't want to say misleading trailers, but they're like the trailers are obviously making you what they want to make you think it's one thing when it's clearly going to be something different, which is quite cool. I quite like that about whoever markets his films because they don't need to tell you anything. They just need to go, here's Guillermo del Toro. Here's a fuck ton of famous people. You know you're going to see it. So, like, crack on. It is quite interesting because you're saying about them, like, misleading slightly as to what kind of film we're getting. But the thing is, is he's always very open. Like, with Crimson Peak, before it had even been released... When everyone was like, oh, he's got a new horror movie coming out. Like, there was interviews when we going, it is not a horror film. It's a gothic romance. But... It is not a horror film. It's a... It has horror mm. parts to it. No, that's not what I was going to argue about. The marketing team very much made people believe it was a horror movie. Oh, they were yeah. like, here's these fucking ghosts, son. But, like, the thing is, is he never shies away from being like, no, that's bullshit. Like, mm. it's not a horror film. Do you know there are people that consider The Shape of Water a horror movie? Hey. Yeah, I, I imagine it's because it's kind oh, it's of like a remake of Creature of the Black it. Lagoon. Um, I still haven't seen it's it. One of, it's one of only two of his movies I haven't seen, because um, I still haven't seen Pan's Labyrinth yet. Um, but yeah, uh, my mum was talking about Shape of Water the other day, because she was saying how good it was, and I was like, yeah, I imagine it is. I mean, I haven't seen it yet, but I I think people consider it horror, because it's like... Kind of like Creature from the Black Lagoon-esque. But yeah, the reason why we're talking about GDT is because today we're covering the one GDT movie that nobody talks about. Mimic from 1997. And boy howdy, have we got a lot of stuff to talk about. I did a fuck ton of research on this movie. I have a book here. So we have a book that I would highly recommend. It's called Guillermo del Toro, Cabinet of Curiosities, which is the name of the new anthology horror series he's got coming out as well. Hmm. Uh, My Notebooks, Collections and Other Obsessions. And this goes up to and includes uh, Crimson Peak, I think. Or Pacific Rim. It definitely doesn't have Shape of Water in it, but I think it covers pretty much everything else. Um, So I read a lot of stuff from this about Mimic. I watched a small documentary about Mimic and then I did a deep dive on it online because babe we've not done one of these episodes in a while but this movie had a production history it did have you have you done any research on this movie nope because I've not seen it before and I didn't want to ruin it cool uh do you want to do your breakdown and then we'll get the fuck into it okay so Mimic released in 1997 Apparently. When you were five years old. I was five whole years old, which is outlandish, really. Also, is this a Mandrake route? Is this one of the little fuckers from Harry Potter? It's Mandrake. I didn't know they were real. I thought they were a Harry Potter thing. I mean... Yeah. Most of the stuff in Harry Potter is not created by J.K. Rowling. You know that. No, but I just thought those were specifically... No, Mandrakes are, like, very, very historic. Hmm. They have a long and illustrious history. Anyway, Mimic, released in 1997. Oops, actually got with it. So, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Written by... GDT and Matthew Robbins. And Matthew Robbins, based on the short story by Donald L. Walheim. Mm-hmm. And featuring Mia Savino as Susan. 
Jeremy Northam as Peter Mann, Dr. Peter Mann. <laughs> Peter the Man. Peter Mann. <laughs> uh, Alexander Goodwin as Chew. Chewy, I think his Chewy. name is. Thank you. Uh, Giancarlo Giannini as Manny. I'm really proud of that. Queen's be moment. I'm super proud of that. Um, Charles S. Dutton as Leonard. Josh Brolin as Josh. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Didn't even try. Oh, fuck. Alex Coramze as Remy. Mm-hmm. And then F. Murray Abraham as Dr. Gates. He's credited on the uh, credits of this movie as special appearance by, which is quite yeah. cool. Also, just because just I was like, oh my God, when we saw him. Uh, Norman Reedus is in this, very, very briefly. But Norman Reedus is in this as Jeremy. Um, I'm not sure if you realised, because he, he looks a little bit different in 97 than he does now. But F. Murray Abraham is mm-hmm. the guy from that fucking TV show we were watching. Uh, is it Raven's Quest or Mi- uh, Mythic Quest? Mythic Quest, the yeah. one with the where the video game designers yeah. the TV show. He's the old fucker that lives in the cupboard that writes the stories. You know, he's the narrator guy, the old guy who's like, I am here to narrate the game of the quests. C.W. Longbottom. Yeah, that's him. That's the old fucker. Yeah. Mate, that man is in frickin' everything. F. Murray Abraham gets around, bro. He has been in so much stuff I've watched over the years that I'm not even a little bit surprised now. And someone's like, oh, did you know he was in this? I'm like, I didn't need to know that. But I'm glad you did tell me. Synopsisize me, bro. Synopsisize you. So, hang on. Because I was going to his... Oh, for fuck's sake. Go back, go back. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Okay, so, three years ago... Entomologist. Entomologist. Entomologist, yeah. Dr. Susan Tyler genetically created an insect to kill cockroaches carrying carrying a virulent disease. Now the insects are out to destroy their own predator, mankind. Nice. Yeah. So I think we should start at the beginning before we get into the movie Mm -hmm. and talk about Guillermo del Toro. So what are your thoughts and opinions on him as a director and his movies? Like, where are you coming from with GDT? So, I have seen GDT-wise, Crimson Peak, fucking love it. Pan's Labyrinth, fucking love it. Specific Rim, fucking love it. Um, I've seen another one, Hellboy and Hellboy 2, fucking love it. So I was going into this kind of excited, because I don't think he's Wait, done a movie... have you not seen Blade 2? Oh, Blade 2, also fucking love it. I always forget he did Blade 2. So I was kind of going into this with the expectation of, I'm going to fucking love it. Cause are you going to fucking love it, or are you just going to keep saying that one sentence? I'm just going to keep saying that one sentence. Okay. Fucking love it. Um, but like, as I was going into this with the anticipation of me feeling very much the same way about this film as I did about every other film of his that I've seen. Yeah. Because um, he is a genius. An absolute genius. Um... So yeah, I went into it with quite a lot of love for GDT. I appreciate him. Mm. Mm. See, I feel like... I don't know if this is maybe a controversial thing to say. Mm. But I feel like he is very reminiscent to me mm-hmm. of Tim Burton in a lot of senses of you can spot one of his movies a mile away, mm. but he also can work in different 
mediums. So he can do a film that feels like a Guillermo del Toro film, mm. but then he can also make a massive blockbuster like Pacific Rim. Uh-huh. And it still doesn't feel like he's compromising anything. No, he doesn't. And yeah. he, has, he has a very distinct voice. And let's be honest, he's a storyteller who tells dark fairy tales, mm-hmm. much like Tim Burton does. I feel like his career maybe has been more consistent than Tim Burton's, but that's See? probably because he hasn't made as many films as Tim Burton and mm. been sucked into like the whole kind of Hollywood system of just taking jobs for the sake of a paycheck like I feel like Tim Burton has in the last decade. I I don't like the comparison between him and Tim Burton because I feel like it kind of discounts Guillermo del Toro. Mm. Like, do I see the parallels between them? Yes. However, Tim Burton... I love Tim Burton. Do not get me wrong. I, I have multiple films of his that I absolutely adore. We'll be covering one of them very, very soon. We will. But he made a career out of being weird and kooky for the sake of being weird and kooky. Mm-hmm. Guillermo del Toro made a career out of being slightly off kilter and dark, but not in a, oh look, I'm kooky, in a mm. kind of, this is the dark side of mankind. This is how people can behave. This is how people can react to things. Mm-hmm. And it's never been a, oh look at me, I'm the weird and kooky guy who does the weird and kooky films. It's the... I have something to say about humanity and how humanity treat each other. And Tim Burton's just sat in the corner going, I'm the weird cookie girl, I'm the weird cookie girl. So I feel like comparing <coughs> GDT and TB are, they're worlds apart from each other. I can see where people come from when they say it, but I don't feel like there's like any kind of parallels between the two of them in actual fact. Also, I feel like Guillermo del Toro could make Edward Scissorhands but Tim Burton could not make The Shape of Water. I don't think Tim Burton could make... This is going to sound really horrible, and I really like Tim Burton. I don't think Tim Burton could make any of his films. He could have done Blade 2. But the thing is, is Blade 2. Blade 2 is shit. Um, I'm no, gonna... no, no, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. on. Wait, I... no, let me finish, let me finish my train of thought. Blade 2 is shit. It's not the worst of the Blade films, but it's not the best. However, Blade 2 may be shit, but it is fun, it is entertaining as fuck, and it is a really visually interesting film. So no matter how many times I watch it and go, oh, the plot of this is a bit... I will still watch it going, oh, but it was fun though, wasn't it? Before you cut me off, because I was hoping to say this before you took a massive shit on this movie, that's actually my favourite Del Toro movie. I'm not saying... The thing is, I'm not saying it's a bad film at all. What I'm saying is it's not a well-written film. But it is it's so much fun to watch. Oh, I love Blade 2. I think it's fucking fantastic. But I won't sit here and say it's the best Blade movie. I rewatched it fairly the recently. The first Blade movie is the best Blade movie. Nah, man. Give me that face. Nah, man. The Blade movie that span off of the TV series was Sticky Fingers, as uh, Blade clearly is the best Blade movie. <laughs> what? They make... Uh, so after fucking... I know there's a TV show, babe, but what you just said made no sense. Yes, they made they made a fourth movie that was like a TV movie. It was like a season finale for the show. Mm-hmm. And Blade was played by a guy called Sticky Fingers. Okay, right. That made slightly more sense, I guess. He was a rapper and his rap name was Sticky Fingers. It's not know, helping. With, with a Z, obviously, because this was like the early noise. It's not helping. But yeah, so <sighs> Mimic. Mimic is the one movie, like... <sighs> 
that I feel like nobody talks about when it comes to Guillermo del Toro's career. It's almost like his like hidden hidden movie. Um and it's re- it's a real shame. So obviously he'd made he'd made Kronos in 1994, mm-hmm. which was his first feature length movie, Spanish language. Uh, it's all about vampirism. Mm-hmm. Really announced who he was on the scene. Um, and then this was his second movie. This was his first movie in English and mm-hmm. for the Hollywood system. So I remember like reading interviews of him where he said he was very excited to work within the Hollywood system because he thought making English language films and having the studio backing and the money behind him would work well for him because he felt like he would have that support and the backing of a big budget. Unfortunately, he decided to work with the Weinsteins, Mm -hmm. who we're not here to talk about the things that people know about them. We're here to talk about them as film producers, as we have previously. Um, And as we know from the conversations we've had about faculty and what they did with Scream, Mm -hmm. etc., we know that they like to meddle, shall we say, in, oh, that's uh, a good. That's a good shout. So originally, this movie was part meant to be part of an anthology. The Weinstein's were putting an anthology together. Guillermo del Toro got involved and submitted his draft for what mm-hmm. would be a thirty-minute segment. They read the script, or Bob Weinstein read the script, decided to make it a feature film. Asked Guillermo del Toro to get a writer so that they could co-write it, um, and then off to the races they went. So this movie's cast originally was very, very different. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I'm about to tell you in a minute will kind of give you an indication of what the Weinsteins are like as people and producers. Um, So originally he wanted Federico Lupe to play Manny, who is the shoeshine man in this, who is the older man from Kronos. Yeah, that would not have worked. No, he the reason why he wasn't cast was because his English wasn't very yeah, good. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, he's um, not strong in in English. He wanted Max von Sydow to play the part that F. Murray Abraham plays. Max von Sydow is the old guy from Star Wars who gets killed at the beginning of Force Awakens by Darth. Oh yeah, not okay, Darth. Please continue. By fucking Kylo Ren. That's mm-hmm. his name. Uh, he's also the old priest in The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he turned it down and basically asked Del Toro why he was wasting his time. The last movie he made before he turned this down was Judge Dredd. Take from that what you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and originally, the part that Jeremy Northman plays was offered... I he, know this. He wanted Andre Brower to play him. Yeah, I knew And that, right? do you know what the Weinsteins turned around and said? They, uh, they didn't think that the general public would appreciate a, a mixed-race couple. Yeah, a black man, and a, a white, white woman, woman and, and a Mexican child. Kid. Yeah. Um, which is fucking disgusting, quite frankly. Um, so he didn't get to cast Andre Brower, who, if you, if anybody doesn't know who that is, he is uh, Captain Raymond Holt from Nine Nine. Nine Nine. Brooklyn Nine Nine. My brain was like real as fuck. I was like, oh my god, what is his name? And then my brain, my head literally went, sincerely, Captain Raymond Holt. <laughs> so, but there were there were large because we watched the director's cut for this. So there were, in the original cut, there were large chunks of the movie that were shot by second unit. Um, and Guillermo del Toro said that he actually pulled 24-hour shifts on this movie. He was there even when he wasn't shooting. It was being shot by second unit mm-hmm. because he wanted to make sure that the film stayed true to his 
vision. Um, there was a day apparently when Harvey Weinstein stormed the set and apparently, get this, tried to teach Del Toro how to direct. Wow. Um, he tried to get him fired until Mia Sorvino yeah. stepped in and said no. And her boyfriend at the time, who was metaphorically being bummed by the Weinstein, shall we say, uh, Tarantino backed her and they basically relented. Because I feel like Tarantino and Rodriguez are the only two men who they've milked for their entire career that they haven't tried to fuck with their films, which really fucks me off. Um, But yeah, so basically they relented. And I tell you what, this this is why I love Guillermo del Toro, because he's not one to mince words. Later, after this movie came out mm-hmm. and he bought the rights back to it and reclaimed it and did his director's cut, he turned around and said this was the worst experience of his life. He said the experience of having my dad kidnapped and held hostage for 72 days when I was a child was a less painful experience than this because I, at least I knew what the um, kidnappers wanted. Wow. That's just traumatic. Yeah. Fuck me. Um, but he said this was the worst experience he's ever had making a film. Because he wanted to make, and I'm sure this comes through, I'm sure when we talk about the film in a minute this will come through. He wanted to make a, me- a mediative film about evolution and religious imagery and iconography. and like The cockroaches are meant to resemble angels and how God is essentially trying to like show humans that they're not the superior race and that there's always going to be something that can, you know, take us out. Um, And he wanted to make this real allegory about survival and things like that. Basically, the Weinsteins wanted to make a slasher movie. They wanted the creature's talons to be more weapon-like. They wanted scarier scenes inserted. They wanted more horror. They wanted more gore. They wanted to basically take this film away from him and recut it as something else. Um, But he admits... Del Toro admits in an interview, he's like, this is a B-movie. He said, this is a B-movie, but when you go into making a B-movie, as long as you know that it's a B-movie, you can still make it to an A standard, um, which I feel like he does. Like, I feel like like I'm never going to shit on him for his directing. Like, the man is a fucking genius. Like, plot-wise, some of his films don't always make uh-huh. sense, but visually, they're always incredible to look at. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of like getting you up to speed on the production history that this movie had. So I guess I just turn it over to you in terms of what you thought of this movie. <laughs> so. It is beautifully shot. That opening shot of this film, so for anyone who hasn't seen it, the opening shot, you basically go in and it's a hospital. But it doesn't really look like a hospital. It's like a big hallway, quite ornate, with these beds like draped in white cloth. It's very ethereal. It's very ethereal. And it's like a, it's a hospital full of children who are all dying of stickler disease? Stricklers. Stricklers disease. Which is caused by cockroaches. You find that out very quickly after this. And that shot sets up for how well this film is shot. Do you know what, though? That shot was actually one of the second unit shots. No, it wasn't. A, 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 one of the shots... I, I There is a shot of that that he may have replaced in the director's cut, but originally that shot was shot by somebody else. It wasn't shot by him. Yeah. Literally, he talks about it here. 
Because he says it was the first image that got him into deep trouble oh. with the studio. Because on IMDb, they said that somebody else directed it. So, yeah, conflicting information. Um, one of the producers, I think, directed the scene, but he did. He created the shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's beautiful. And it kind of gives you a look into what the film is going to look like. Because like, this film is, is very well shot and it is beautiful. It's dirty and grimy and quite claustrophobic at times, but it is beautiful. Where is it set? New York, isn't it? New York. Yeah, I was going to say. New York. Um, plot wise I didn't enjoy it mm-hmm. it just there was nothing about it that held me like I got the idea of it so like just, so basically this etymologist creates a, a, an insect called the Judas and it's basically like a hybrid uh, insect so using like it's like ants from like the Amazon rainforest, termites, termites cockroaches, and like, loads of other bits. And basically, she built them to kill the cockroaches. They were supposed to live for 150 days and then die. So none of the females were. All of the females were supposed to be sterile. So they wouldn't be able to produce more. I'm going to come back to that because I've got a problem with that. Um, so they wouldn't be able to produce more and they would die out once the job was done and the cockroaches were killed. Stickler disease would be destroyed. Bam, bam, thank you, ma'am. Three years on, we find out that actually it didn't work out and they'd managed to procreate and they were going through like an accelerated evolution. Um, the first issue I have with the whole plot of this movie is that the women, all of the females, are sterile. Mm-hmm. So she'd built them to be sterile. And one fertile male. Mm-hmm. So how on earth did they manage to have the first babies? That's my issue I have. It's okay. like, um, Sped up evolution I can get on board with because they're mating very quickly and they're dying quite quickly as well. So they would have like a quick evolutionary period. Mm-hmm. The fact that they were basically they were made in a lab and the females were unable to bear children. How the fuck did the first ones, the ones that had the 150 days do their job, they're dead. How the hell did they manage to procreate? So I have two theories on this. Mm-hmm. One is that they were meeting with the normal cockroaches and they were creating like a hybrid version of the Judas strain. So rather than... I feel like that would have been addressed in the film though if that was what yeah. had happened. So that was my first theory. Mm. My second theory was kind of like, you know, in Jurassic World when they put a bunch of shit in the Indominus Rex and all of the shit inside of it is like counteracting mm. each other. I kind of assumed that that was what was happening with these. So they thought that they made them sterile, but the cross-pollination of the DNA probably caused something to be off with them mm. because they never actually mentioned whether they tested, I guess, whether they were sterile. They well, just no, made... she, she said they did because they tested them in the lab. Right. That's because she says that because the um, character F... Mar- Murray Abraham plays. Murray Abraham plays Dr... Rennie or whatever. No, it's not Rennie. It's no. the other guy. Rennie's yeah. her, her mate. Anyway, he says, um, we did in a test environment, but the real world's the biggest test of all. So they had tested it. Like, they were sterile. Yeah. 
so I, that was my two theories was that like the concoction of DNAs fuck something up along the line. You know how like you know how like women can produce like false positive pregnancy tests like mm. you can get false positive like I I imagined it was something like that where yeah in the lab they were getting so, certain results but if it was evolving faster than they could keep control of it I'd kind of had a theory about this until I found out that they were all females so and it's never really addressed by the way so Dr. Man and Sarah Sophie Sarah? Susan. Susan, thank you. I was like, it's an S. Oh, trying to have a baby. They're married, by the way. I try to have a baby. And there's a scene in this where she takes pregnancy tests. It doesn't come back positive. She throws it in the bin. Yeah. And it's not long after she got bitten on the hand by one of the bugs. When he goes back into the toilet later, it's now a positive test. So I thought potentially they found a way to basically, like impregnate human women right like that's what my brain went with because i was like it's weird that we see that because it's never addressed that she gets mm. bitten by him ever and then the, pre- the the positive pregnancy test is then never addressed later by him telling her that she's pregnant yeah it's never addressed ever it's mm-hmm. a good theory and i feel like it should have been but then and th- i feel like that's kind of one of multiple points in this film where the story kind of drops the ball Mm -hmm. yeah if you would and that also i think that makes it a more horrifying film when you consider that as well yeah like but like because that was kind of my one theory was like oh well maybe they're impregnating you but then we find out later that all of the bugs that we meet all of the insects are actually all females there's only the Mm -hmm. one male and he's blue and smaller He's got no wings. He's got no wings either. He looks a bit like one of the prawns from um, District 9. He looks just kind of like a giant ant. Yeah. Which would make sense. Yeah, it would, because they're based on an, yeah. an African ant. Yeah, like the soldier ants, I think. And well, the no, other... no, that's the soldier um, termite she's mm-hmm. showing the kid earlier in the film. And the other thing that doesn't make sense about this... Well, it's not, it's not that it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't, it just doesn't uh, really... They don't really explore the idea of it. The movie's called Mimic. Mm-hmm. The Judas breed have evolved to mimic humans. Do they have? At, no, like, other than the fact that you see one of the fuckers, who I'm assuming is the male one, wearing the trench coat and the trousers and no, stuff. No, it's on the women, because it's the wings that oh, are yeah. making the trench coat. So you see, you see, like, that one stalking people, but you never see the face, obviously, until later on. Mm. Um, they never... Like, so the whole the whole so, thing is the whole thing is the movie makes you think that they're like they're like camouflaging they can they can look like then, people. So so basically just just out of it because I feel like this needs to be like, it basically what they've done is they've evolved themselves into mimicry, but not like because like when I first heard about this film I was like oh they can kind of like transform themselves yeah, like to look human yeah they can't so what it is is if you look it's like. In fact, I think there's a picture of it in this book. So it's like part of their arms have things that like look like a human's face. Mm. So it's there, in fact, like you can see. So this here, and um, if they tilt themselves like that, it'll close in and it replicates. Yeah, well, that's what they she does when she like puts the two pictures face. together, doesn't she? Yeah, and the wings look kind of like clothes. So it's it's more of a, a, a mimicry in the actual. Yeah, there you go. 
Mm. So it's kind of more like mimicry in the actual like animal world version of mimicry. Like yeah. some animals can mimic other animals' cries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that. That's really interesting to me. And also later on in the film you find out they've actually evolved into... They have lungs. Yeah. Which insects don't have apparently. I didn't know this. Mm-hmm. Um, which is obviously a human trait. So they're not just evolving to mimic humans. They are evolving to become humans. So maybe it's the other way around then. From mm. what you said earlier. Maybe when it bit her, mm. it took a bit of her blood. Oh, maybe. And then it's the mixing of the DNA, now it's got human DNA in it, that gives it the human-like properties, like the face and the lungs. Maybe. I don't know, because I don't think it is, because I think that is just sh- like sheer evolution. Mm. Because they tend to... For all of the downfalls in the scientific method in this, it does tend to stay quite quite close to actual scientific reasoning instead of going down as more paranormal or supernatural route. It is quite close to, like, actual scientific reasoning of... Because this is, it's just evolution, but evolution done at, like, light speed. Yeah. So, like, um, there's a bit in the scene, the film, where she says, apes became humans in 40 generations. So, according to evolution, it took 40 separate generations... For us to evolve from primates into Homo sapiens. Well, mm. Homo erectus more than likely, probably. And these have gone through a hundred generations mm-hmm. in the space of three years. So think about us going from primates to like Homo, Homo erectus. Yeah. That's 40 generations. Think of the difference a hundred made. Yeah. I mean, obviously we know because we're now upright humans, we're Homo sapiens. This is kind of what happens. Um, but it's interesting to think about that kind of sped up evolution and what it could cause. Like, they started becoming more human. Yeah. Which wouldn't happen even on an evolutionary front as far as I'm concerned, because we, like, they are insects and we are mammals. Mm -hmm. So it's two completely different things, but it's an interesting concept. Yeah. And I lost where my train of thought had actually started with this. <laughs> oh, the pregnancy thing. Because she said <coughs> it was taking the blood to uh, make itself more human. But yeah, I don't think that's the case purely because of how um, they have tried to clo- stay as close to like actual scientific explanation as possible. Yeah. So I don't think it would be. But it would also would have been a, an interesting... An interesting concept to work with. Yeah. But this is kind of the problem with this film is there's a lot of places it could go and a lot of places it could explain away like plot holes mm. that it just kind of... It, I feel like because they based it on a short story originally so they've taken like the base from something else. I read it, it was published in like one of those like Penny Dreadful style magazines. Yeah. Um... And then there's two different people working on the script as well. That where there's this crossover between the two, there's been a ball dropped. Yeah. And it's happened a few times and little plot threads are never really getting answered. No. Or resolved. Because the like the pregnancy thing, because it's like one of the first things we find out about Susan after they've got married and moved in together. It's like really early in the film, they start discussing having children. Yeah. Super early on in the film. And then I, f- I feel like the fact that she was pregnant 
would have had a bigger impact on the story. Yeah. Other than him just refusing to let her go do this thing. Yeah. And the way in which we find out she's pregnant as well, mm. as and as an audience, because it's not like just a, oh we've we've left we come back we look at the bin and oh look it's a it's a red it's a red cross now, it's we're watching it happen. It goes from being blank to a red cross in like a snap of a finger, mm. and that's weird. And they're like having that phone conversation, aren't they? Yeah. She's like underground, and he's like yeah. his phone's cutting out. But like I, I kind of like the idea of the fact that she never like they never pick that thread up. So as far as she's concerned, she goes through the whole movie not knowing that she's pregnant. Well, no, she finds out. Does he? When does he? Ta- does he tell her at the end then? Yeah, he tells her because he refuses to let her go and do the thing, doesn't he? Oh, I couldn't remember that that bit. Yeah, but I was going to say because there's like that weird tragic irony of the fact that she can create life, as in the bug. But she, as herself, cannot yeah, create life. Yeah. But no, I think that would have been, should have been a way bigger plot thread, personally. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I feel like this movie introduces... And I don't know if it's just because of like the B-movie nature of it, whether it's the studio interference, or whether it's just, at that time, Del Toro not being a confident enough writer. Because, I mean, also, this is only his second movie. Also... On the list of other plot threads that get dropped we never deal with, the two kids. Oh, the ones that get eaten? Yeah, two kids get killed. Who, like, we meet them, we meet one of their mums as well. Like, they're in, they're involved with Susan, and, like, they sell her, like, bugs they find. Do we meet one of their mums? Yeah, she's at the train station. The train station at the, um underground with them when they're talk they're asking the kids whether or not they've seen the um... No, that's Rennie from earlier no, on. No, it's not, it's one of their mums. I'm pretty confident that Rennie's was... dark haired, she's a blonde woman. I'm pretty sure it... I thought it was Rennie. No, like... it wasn't. It was like one of their mums. Oh. Because they she says, Oh like if we find this will you pay us? And she's like, Oh ignore the pair of them and she drags them both off. Oh. Well they do mention it because they mention what like they find one of the bodies. No they don't. They find one of the bugs. Oh, that's what Norma Reedus is showing them later on. Yeah, but he's working at the water uh, treatment plant. Yeah, because the guy says, "Oh, I think it's a kid," like, yeah. and that's as as far as it gets addressed. No, because then yeah, when when they when they show because they show up at the water treatment plant later, mm. and Norman Reedus gets it out of the fridge, you pull it back, and it's one of the insects. Yeah, but that's as far as they address it. Is the guy going? I think it's a kid. Yeah, but that's not the kid. It's the bug. No. Yeah. So we never find out what happened to the two kids who just died in a tunnel. They got fucked up. Like, that one kid got stabbed through the chest, the other kid... No, I, I know up. that, but, like, that's a big... Like, because they, they're in, they're involved in the plot. They're the ones who bring the original Judas bug that they have found to Susan. Yeah. I mean, by this point, she's got other shit to worry about. No, she's I know, not... but do you know what I mean? It's the kind of plot thread that irritates me, mm. of, like, there should have just been a little bit of closure yeah. there somewhere. Like their bodies were found, or if if there was just a missing poster at some point, or a woman looking for her children. Yeah, maybe. I just I just think it's one of those things, though. Like this movie, ha- this movie is so like frantically paced. I just don't think it has an it, it has enough time to concern itself with that. Like as far as the movie's concerned, those kids have been killed. Like we need to move on. Like. Yeah, but also you can see what I'm saying. Of it's 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 irritating, and it's a sign of a, a it's it's. It makes the things things like this make the film seem very poorly written. Mm. I won't I won't shit on the direction of this movie at all. The directing is great. Del Toro did a good job directing this film, but I think it's because it's only really his sophomore movie, mm. 
he literally made Kronos and then this. And also, it's a, a it was a big studio film. Mm. So I can kind of get why there are problems with it. But yeah, there's just a few bits that I'm like, I would have just liked it slightly neater. One thing. One thing I didn't really understand is why there was shit everywhere. I think it's like excretions from the... Because they keep finding like big shits just stuck on like the underground. Because that's what Josh Brolin's bagging up. He's just bagging up all the big shit samples. And I'm like, is that human shit? Is that bug shit? Like, what is this? I think it's secretions from the bugs. Um... Because especially if they're ant-based, mm. I'm pretty sure there's a thing with like ants vomiting things up. Mm. Maybe. I think. I'm, I swear I've seen it in other things before, but I, I don't know a lot about insects. I'm not. But I know like regurgitation is a thing in insects because quite a few of them can't digest properly and things like that. So it could easily be that. It could just be poop. They could just be doing really big shits. Yeah, I just didn't really understand the whole like why there was just big piles of shit everywhere. The thing... Also, because the thing is, I feel like there is a, an insect, like an entomologist explanation for why those things are there and what they mean, but we never get told. Because mm. I feel like it is an insect thing. It's probably like a termite thing or an ant thing, because they're yeah. the two main DNAs in the, in the Judas strain. Mm. But yeah, it's, it is never explained and it is a little bit irritating. Also, they are... Because I don't really know what kind of animal... Well, animals are a word what kind of insect cockroaches are but the judas breed is made up of hive based insects mm-hmm. but you never find like a place where they're living like you never find a hive or a nest do they, you do no they all appear out of nowhere at the end they're all sleeping across the ceiling so they're all the freshly born females so the entire ceiling is just, they're sleeping. Did I just miss that scene? I think so, yeah. At the very, very end, before the movie ends and we get the big explosion. Oh, everything dies. Um, yeah, then you get a shot up of the panning of the roof of, like, literally it's just thousands of them all upside down. Mm. Kind of like bats. Weird way for them to sleep as an insect, but I'm not going to touch it. Across the ceiling. Because that's why the other females are trying to get in, because that's where all the children are. Oh. So it's the nursery. Because if the nursery dies, the hive dies. Oh. <laughs> I thought that there was one particularly good scene in it, though, when they're on the subway car and Matey gets his fucking leg sliced open and she, like, rips the one bug to pieces and she's like, here, smother yeah, this shit on the windows. she pulls out the, uh, the scent glands yeah, from it. and starts rubbing everyone with it. I thought that was pretty cool um, because that's kind of how those things, like, hunt and stuff. I have to ask you, though, what did you think of the design of the creatures? I think because I like my supernatural, like, slightly more, like, paranormal and supernatural most of the time, I found them quite, like, eh, what the fuck? That makes no sense. But looking at it as an insect, it is really well done. Because they do still look insect enough, but from a distance with the way they can move themselves still look human enough to get away with passing. Yeah. As humans from a distance. So the design is really cool. And I do, I really like it because they did a really good job actually making them look like very, like it looks like it has like the outer shell and the carcass and 
like actual insect bits. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you can see when you're looking at it as well, like you can see like the, the things that they've pulled, so, like the bits they've pulled from ants, the bits they've pulled from termites, like they have made an amalgamation of what something would look with DNA from all of these <coughs> different insects. Yeah. It's really cool. I like them. Yeah, I I think as far as what you said, like they um they look really creepy. They look good in action. Like they look good in the scenes where they're like attacking people and stuff and when they're like there's that one particular scene where they're all trying to get on the subway car and they're like tapping the glass with their like I don't want to say talons. Talons is the wrong word. They're like little feet. They're like tapping away. They look really cool. Um, yeah, it's an interesting like creation. It's an interesting like creature design. See, according to the Wikipedia page, the fandom Wikipedia page on the actual Wikipedia, because <laughs> they were giving like kind of information. Um, there's no ant DNA in them. It's um, cockroaches, mantis, oh. and termites. But also the, any of the ant, the the um, ant kind of imagery could have also come from like mantises because they, although they look quite different, they have quite similar pieces. Yeah. But I swear they say an entire there's an entire conversation they hold about the DNA. The it's the excretions they give off, isn't it? Yeah. The only other place it could be found is like an ant in Africa. So I'm pretty confident ant is in there somewhere. Otherwise, there's no reason for them to have the same secretion. But yeah, I thought I thought they looked cool. I thought that the uh... yeah. So there's a scene here. So it says that the um... uh, as an evolutionary leap, evolution's on their side. Um... And it shows here. There's a picture in the book of like a homeless man worshiping it as a dark angel and that's kind of what del toro wanted them to look like he wanted them to be sort of angelic figures that would be kind of worshipped mm. i think there are a couple of scenes in this movie that they didn't film um where like they're in like a church and stuff and they would have been so yeah um the idea was that you would be able to trace the body of a human over the insect silhouette it's almost like if you had backlit this, you could see the wings. But if it was silhouetted, it would look like a man. And if you looked a little closer, it would seem like the guy had his hands in his pockets. But in reality, it was just a bump in the wing. Back then, CG was not that advanced, so we couldn't do it on a budget, which was $30 million. And I love the idea, which we also couldn't do, of steam escaping through the vents on the side of the head. The mimics were going to be super hot because they were making a huge effort... Oh, that's what it. That's what it says on there. But yeah, like it was like a. What are you reading from? It's, it's finished. That's like. Oh. The... So yeah. Well, apparently, so the evolved level have six wings. Oh, sorry, six legs, wings, and a head, a thorax, and abdomen, and lungs. Mm. And basically, what they would do is so they walk on their two hind legs, keep their main middle set of legs in, so like a praying mantis does. Yeah. And then their top, their forelegs are what the face is on. So they would lift their forehead, forelegs to cover their face hmm. to have like the human mask. And then their wings would wrap around them like a coat. Huh. Which is pretty cool. Like, uh, it's an interesting concept. I do quite like it. How do you rate it as a horror movie? 
it's quite jumpy. I think that's the scariest part of this. If you don't like insects, it's fucking creepy. Because yeah. it's, a, it's a horror movie about insects. But if you're like me, you're a bit like, I don't hate them. I'm just not particularly fond of them. It's just a bit jumpy. I wouldn't say it's massively scary. No, I don't think it's particularly scary. I think it's, yeah, like you said, if you, it's a bit, it gets under your skin a little bit, I think, with some of the scenes with the bugs and stuff. Yeah, see, bugs don't, bugs don't bother me. Um, but, like, for you, do, can you see in this movie the director that Del Toro would go on to become? No. In all honesty, no. If this was the first Del Toro movie, like, I got really lucky. My first Del Toro movie I ever saw was Pan's Labyrinth, mm-hmm. which is like, it's a masterpiece. Or defend that movie to my grave. If I'd have seen this as my first Del Toro movie, I probably would have avoided watching anything else he did. Which is, is a really harsh criticism, and I do appreciate that, that, that it's a super harsh thing to say. But I just don't think it's a very good film. And because of the way it was shot, and it was shot on quite a low budget as well, is there's nothing about the direction in it. Although it is a well-directed film, there's nothing in the direction of this film that makes you go, oh, oh. It has the slightly gothic atmosphere to it, I think, which is the only thing that kind of lets you know that it's a Del Toro movie. There's quite a few, like, religious images in it as well. There's a lot of, like, mechanical imagery as well, which is very Del Toro. Mm. But it 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 feels like somebody trying to replicate a feel of a Del Toro movie without only having seen about 30 minutes of a Del Toro movie. Yeah. Which is weird because it, it is... It's a GDT movie, but it does feel like somebody got showed like a 30 minute like greatest hits compilation of his films and then they went, we want you to do that, we want you to replicate it and make it about this and someone went, well give it a go. I think if, I think if he made this movie now, I think people would fall over themselves to praise it. Oh yeah, because like he's kind of reached that point where currently in his career, where he is, he is currently standing, he can do very little wrong. Yeah, people will always live, love what he puts out until he does something horrifically bad, and then everyone will hate everything he ever made. Mm. Um, but to be fair, I can't see him making a movie that dreadful that I would hate. Hate him. See, he's so. one. Of, he's one of those weird directors because, much like Wes Craven, people use his name mm. to sell movies a lot. And, like, all of his movies that he's directed are fucking varying degrees of great. Um, Some are better than others. But then you look at the movies that people put his name on, that people are tricked into thinking his movies. Are You Afraid of the Dark? Fucking Mama. Are You Afraid of the Dark? Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Yeah, that fucking Tooth Fairy one with Katie Holmes in it. Uh, Mama, which is fucking dog shit. The thing with Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, though, actually, is... Because he was actually involved in it, wasn't he? No, he's just a producer on it. Um, but I could see it being a Guillermo del Toro movie. Yeah. And not I'm... in the exist- existence it currently is now. And the main issue with that film... Sorry, this is completely off, off topic. But my main issue with that movie is it's not a bad film. But they show you the creature far too early. You see what you you find out what the creature is, and you see it like maybe half an hour in, and it takes away all of the like 
tenseness because you're like, it's a fucking tooth fairy. Yeah, but do you know what, do you know what pisses me off more about that what? movie? So that movie came out in 2010, 11-ish, roughly. Yeah. Three years after Hellboy the Golden Army came out, which features tooth fairies in it, which look exactly the fucking same as the ones... They use exactly the same creature design for the two fairies that are in Hellboy the Golden Army three years later as the main villains. a feeling... Is there pictures of them in here? I have a feeling it's the same design they use in Pan's Labyrinth, you know? Yeah, it's the same creature in fucking Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, except I think the ones in Don't Be Afraid of the Dark don't have wings. But, like, facially and body-wise, they look exactly the same. But getting back onto the topic of what we're talking about... This movie, I think if Guillermo del Toro made this movie now as the filmmaker that he is now, if he made it with a different studio and made it as the filmmaker that he is now, people would love this movie. It would be so successful. And I think the movie, rightfully so, has been reappraised in the last few years because the director's cut's only been available on Blu-ray for sort of the last six or seven years. It's not been out for very long. Um, and people got to see this version of the movie, which is the version of the movie that we watched, which is closer to his like original vision. And I think it's one of those movies that people have a good time with, and people, it's a it's a good like easy watch. Like you can throw it on like and be like, oh yeah, this is an easy watch. But I feel like if he made it now, it would be so much more well regarded and well respected than it was at the time. And I feel like that's because of like the studio meddling that he went through and like the the interference from the Weinstein brothers that fucked him over. Yeah. But this movie has two sequels. Oh, you know, and it, apparently they're doing a TV series. Yeah, well. so the movie has two sequels, Mimic 2 and Mimic 3 Sentinel, which both went straight to Blu-ray or DVD video at the time. Because the Weinsteins love fucking milking an IP for like straight to video sequels. Um, and then apparently Paul W.S. Anderson of like Mortal Kombat, Resident Evil and Event Horizon fame is in talks to do a TV series. Um, which could be quite interesting. But let's be honest, Paul W.S. Anderson isn't even a core of the filmmaker as what Del Toro is. So provided he doesn't direct any of the episodes, like it could be alright as long as he's just like a producer. Um, it yeah. could be interesting. Um, I think I think it's one of those things though. Like this, this movie could have done irreparable damage to Del Toro's career because after this, he went back to Spain and did The Devil's Backbone before he went on to do like everything else. But I feel like this movie could have been the movie that made him like retreat away, and he may never have became the filmmaker that he did. Um, and I'm really glad that it didn't, and he did go on to bigger and better things. But, yeah, it's an interesting footnote in his career, I think. Yeah, we'll go with that. I I don't know. I don't, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about the film, to be honest. I, part of me wants to love it because it's Guillermo. Another part of me is going, it's really, really bad. And then there's a third part of my brain that's going, it's not that bad, though, is it? You're just pissed off because it's not as great as you were expecting yeah. it to be. So, yeah, I don't actually know how I feel about this movie at all. This is his Alien 3. Yeah, sure. So, Alien 3 was the first movie that David Fincher ever made. Made it for a massive studio. The studio interfered and he basically disowned the movie, then went on to become the greatest filmmaker alive. And I feel like this is Del Toro's, like, first crack at the bite with a big studio. They fucked him over. 
he disowned the movie for a number of years and then went on to become one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Yeah. I feel like every director has that movie in their like canon that's like the one movie that everyone's a bit like, oh yeah, that guy made it, but then look at these other seven movies that he made that are amazing. Yeah. But then I say that as someone who's not a massive fan of Crimson Peak or Hellboy 2, so... I loved Crimson Peak. But we'll, I'm sure at some fucking point, we'll talk about that movie. But yeah, let's wrap this up. Um, so how are you going to rate Mimic? I'm going to give it a three because I'm very middle ground on this. Yeah, I think I agree with you. It is very much a three out of five movie. Mainly because the cast are trying and the creatures look cool as fuck. Yeah. But other than that, there's not a lot going on in this movie. Um, yeah, it's very, it's very, I hate to use the word, but it's very middling for me. Yeah. It's not particularly scary. It has some really good concepts and some really good ideas, but it just doesn't pan them out. Yeah. I'm really glad they went with this ending rather than the other ending that they shot. Oh, yeah, no, I know about the other ending. Well, the ending where there was it was implied that they hadn't actually managed to kill the creatures and yeah. they were still out there. they hear the clicking. Yeah. Also, just just quickly before we get to the end of this, um, Chewie, mm. aside from him getting people killed, why is he there? I think... I think it's again to create like a parallel. So this movie is all about parallels. It's like the idea of... So there's like three main things in this movie that the bug brings to the forefront. Like we said, the idea that the entomologist can create life, but she can't create life herself, which is a running theme for the first half of this movie. The fact that the bug is called the Judas breed, so they created it to turn on other sort of insects, but then it eventually turns on man, leading to its name... Judas, which is the kind of like eventually everything turns on everything else kind of sort of parallel. And then the third parallel is that he himself is a mimic, which is what his dad says. Because she says, why isn't he in school? And he says, well, he's a special boy. He can mimic anything. And I think it's the kind of idea of like, because he has autism, he has a higher brain function than what We think he, he has no, autism. I Del Toro, yeah, that. I read it just a minute ago. Del Toro says in the book. So because of his autism, he has a higher brain function than what a lot of people have, which is a known study. And they talk about this in a lot of different movies, about how people with autism are slightly higher on the evolutionary chain. So, and I think it's that kind of idea of he's he's evolved at a higher rate than other people because he can mimic things because of his autism. So I it's, have, it's that parallel I with... I have an issue with... And it's a general issue... The kind of portrayal of autism in films, Mm -hmm. just generally, but kind of in this a little bit, because they've just made him quite awkward socially and, like, very good at mimicking things. And I don't like that, because it's not a good representation of what autism is... Generally, like, I'm not saying there's not people out there who, due to their autism, are, you know, maybe very good at mimicry, or there's also, like, the idea of, like, the Rain Man. Yeah, which is kind of also how he is portrayed with the way he talks about yeah. the shoes and stuff. But the thing is, is it's a really bad representation of, like, I, I know um, some a, a few autistic adults. I know... 
uh, a few autistic children. And, like, I'm not saying my friend isn't incredibly intelligent, but it's a very specific... Like, he's not, like, Rain Man smart. He's just, like, he's a little bit... He's a little bit smart, but in, like, a really specific area. So... I don't know how to word it without no, it sounding. You know what I mean? Like he he has like a hyperfixation, and he can tell yeah. you anything you could ever want to know, and he will chat for hours about it. So the problem, he, but he's not. The other problem I have is this, social, this idea of them being like very socially awkward. He's not. He can like he's just, he can be a bit. I've had people tell me like he can be a bit odd at times. I don't see it because I've known him for years, but he's not like this really socially awkward can't speak to people guy he's just he has he'll sit and talk your ear off about something he enjoys and he just sometimes struggles with um general interaction like if i'm feeling slightly sadder i'll have to tell him because he won't see it in my face and he won't understand that's what's wrong i have to say to him or like i'm feeling quite sad today because he just doesn't the the facial cues don't work for him does that make sense? So but... the pro- the problem I have with it is it's the same as like mental handicap, Tourette's and autism tend to be the big three. Yeah. Because there are so, and I don't mean that in a derogatory term, I just mean that tends to be the big three things that people will have in films. The problem with it is, is especially with autism and especially with Tourette's is... There's so many different versions... Not versions, that's the wrong word. But there's so many different types. It's, it's on a spectrum. Yeah. There's so many different types of it and people react differently to it. People have different strengths of it or, or they have different things that go along with it that when films want to portray an autistic character or a character with Tourette's, they just go to the blanket stereotypes because it's easier for them to convey that to an audience to be like so a prime example of this and I'm only going to discuss this quickly because I feel like it's relevant to this movie is in Shane Black's The Predator the child I can't remember his name played by uh, Jacob Tremblay has autism the predators are trying to find him because they think much like in this movie he is higher on the evolutionary scale mm. and harvesting his blood or his DNA is going to be good for them in their evolution or some bullshit. It's mm. very muddled in why they actually want... Essentially, he has autism, he's a fucking superhero, is essentially what the film is saying. But he has the whole thing of, like, he's hyper-intelligent, he can figure out the Predator technology very quickly, uh, he has sensory stuff, so he's, like, hitting his head and screaming a lot, which is a very stereotypical thing. And the portrayal of autism in that is very embarrassing. Um, but also, in Rain Man, Dustin Hoffman's character is hyper-intelligent, fixates on things, does the whole tap in his head, like, making a strange noise sort of situation. So I feel like those are the main traits that they go to when they want to portray autism. And I feel like that was kind of... I feel like the mixed mud, the, the muddled thing that I think Del Toro is trying to do with this movie is he is trying to showcase that as the creatures are evolving, so are humans, and him having autism shows that he's higher on the evolutionary scale because he is learning to mimic the creatures as they are learning to mimic us. Yeah, it's and it's but it's very it's it's never really fleshed out as to why 
it's that just, is the way, but it's it's very muddled in its messaging. Yeah, I think I, I just always have kind of had a little bit of problem with how autism is portrayed yeah. in in media. And it's the thing is, is I'll always say like it's the Rain Man thing of like, oh, they're really intelligent and they're really like smart. But it's even things down to the things like you you see, and it's not in all portrayals. This is not in all, but like with the the Rain Man you saying about Jacob Tremblay's character in Predator, it's this like um and they're hitting themselves and things like that. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Um, I I don't know anybody who does like, and I've heard stories of like that is what can happen, but like. I have, I have a, a friend whose who's son is autistic and he has violent outbursts. Mm-hmm. But it's not like when he's not having a violent outburst, he's quiet and you can just set him off really quickly. He has specific triggers that will cause them to happen. It's generally falling out of his routine that yeah. causes it. But outside of that, he's, you know, he's, he's a little boy. He, he likes to play video games with his sister and... Mm-hmm. It got, like, calls me Auntie Lily when when I see him and and I'm like he's not this quiet introverted hates everybody won't speak to people as long as you stick to his routines and yeah. he's happy and comfortable there's you know he's 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 just a little boy I think one of the most insulting betrayals and I think this is portrayals sorry and I think this is why the writers never outwardly actually said he had it is in the Big Bang Theory yeah because they. They basically give Sheldon all of the hallmarks of it, but they basically use it as an excuse for him to be a fucking prick to everybody. Yeah. They're like, oh, he can boss this person around or gaslight this person or act superior because he may be like, he ha- he may have an indeterminate mental illness. And I'm like, that's just lazy writing. Like, just say that he's an obnoxious prick with a superiority complex. Don't try and wrap it up in hiding behind mental illness like because that's just insulting to people that have mental illnesses yeah and i think that to me is probably the most insulting one i also just want to make a, a very clear for a moment then i i realized what i'd said when i'm talking about my friend's son is that when he's he's just a normal little boy and I, i'm in no way saying yeah i feel like people know what i'm trying to say without actually saying it like he is just a little boy he who has autism yeah is the point I was making is he's he's still just a little boy. He just he has autism. Yeah, and it's a weird one. I think I always get a little bit angry about the portrayal of it because I know people who have autism, and it's and yeah. I've become a lot more aware over recent years as well because one of my friends is really heavily into like advocacy and things like that. So I've learned a lot of things over the last few years about autism. So it tends to like piss me off to a degree. Sure, he'll be very pleased to know that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I feel like I get that way about a lot of things, like with portrayals in movies, because they never, they never do anything well. No, but yeah. Anyway, like I feel like we should wrap this up now. Yeah, probably. This is um, this has gone on way longer than normal. So next week we're going to be looking at Clive Barker's Nightbreed, Ooh. which is another production history epic. Woohoo! I was so excited to cover this. Uh, we'll probably try and watch some of, if not all of, Midnight Mass before next week's episode as well, so we can discuss that. Oh, and just as a side note, because I didn't mention it at the beginning of the episode, if you haven't seen already, we have announced our lineup for October, so go check out our social media at all the normal places to see, basically, uh, it's Classics Month, which is covering a bunch of classics in October. Yeah. Um, back next week with Nightbreed. 
stay safe. Hope everyone has a good week. And um, yeah, we'll be back next week with episode on Nightbreed. And uh, yeah, follow us at usual places. S-I-M-A-H-F pod on Twitter. So I'm a horror fan on Instagram and Tumblr. And um, yeah, see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.